am. My name is Frankie Tool, and if you haven't seen me before, it's because usually I'm next door. If you ever hear a big thumping noise while you're in here, it's just me next door with the kids having a great time. Um, but this morning, uh, I talked to the kids, and we decided that y'all didn't seem like y'all have enough fun, so they told me to come in here to try to help y'all have some more fun. So we did that. They gave me some pointers a few weeks ago. If you were here, we got to um, do Fifth Sunday, which is when our kids come into the service and they worship with us. And they said it was great. They said they jumped around and danced, but none of you did. So uh, next time, Fifth Sunday, let's work on that. I'll come in here, jump and dance with y'all, whatever we need to do. But uh, that's what my normal Sunday is, a lot of jumping and dancing. But like I said, today we'll be in here. And today, like Bo said, we're continuing our series called Knowing God. Knowing God. And if you've been here for any point in this year, you've probably uh, came here during this series because we've been doing it all year. Uh, we're walking through the Bible. And we're still in the Old Testament. And today we're in one of the stories that's one of the most well-known stories in the whole Bible, specifically the Old Testament, the story of Jonah, the story of Jonah. Uh, Christians, uh, if you've uh, grown up in Sunday school, it's one of the stories you get taught from day one. Uh, Non-Christians also hear this story all the time. It's just a story that everyone knows. But what, what the thing is, is I think sometimes we look at the small picture rather than looking at the whole picture of Jonah, the whole book of Jonah. So today, that's what I want us to do. So if you have your Bible, if you don't mind turning to the book of Jonah, which is right after the book of Obadiah. Obadiah. All right, so Obadiah, sometimes confused with Obi-Wan, so not the same person. But uh, right after Obadiah, while you do that, I'm going to say a prayer for us. So let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for letting us come and uh, hear your word, Lord. I pray that we use this scripture, use the book of Jonah, and we apply it to our lives, Lord, that we uh, live for you, and that all we do, we glorify you. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so the book of Jonah, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 2. All right, so this is uh, God talking to Jonah right here. So verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So whenever you see it say the great city of Nineveh, great does not mean it's like a good place to go because it also says its wickedness has come up before me. So great just means it's a big city. It's a large city. It ends up being the capital. All right. So Nineveh is just a really big city. All right, and it is really, really wicked. All right, really wicked. You got to think about almost like ISIS today, but a whole lot worse. The Ninevites took a lot of pride in who could torture slaves the worst. So it's a really bad city. It's terrible. It's not where you're wanting to go on vacation. But in 2020, maybe because 2020 was pretty bad already, so it kind of fit in there. But it's a really terrible place. And this is where God is telling Jonah to go, to go to Nineveh and to preach against their wickedness. All right, so verse 3, but Jonah ran away. So instead of going to Nineveh, he ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Tarshish, not only hard to say, but it's also the complete opposite of Nineveh. All right, so not only is it the opposite as in it's uh, more like a beachfront property. It's where they go to relax. It's a nice place to be. Nineveh was not. It, Tarshish is where you do want to go on vacation. All right, it's also completely opposite geographically. All right, so you had, if this was Joppa, all right, so you got Joppa right here. This is where Jonah was. Nineveh was 500 miles by foot 
this way, while Tarshish was 2,500 miles this way by boat. All right, so what's crazy is this. Jonah was willing to work five times harder to disobey God than to just obey God from the get-go. And isn't it crazy that we would do the same thing too? We would work five times harder to disobey. I know I do sometimes. I work harder to disobey rather than obeying God. We're willing to work extremely extravagant plans that require a lot of work so that we don't have to do what God has called us to do. And this is what Jonah is doing right here. Let's continue on in verse 3. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Two things right here I think are worth pointing out. Two things right here. One is that when we're called to obey, there's always a ship that leads us to disobedience. There's always a ship that leads us to disobedience. There's always a way out of obedience. And usually this ship is leading to something that's more comfortable. All right, so Jonah was going to Tarshish, which is way more comfortable than Nineveh. And there's always this ship that can lead us out of obedience and into disobedience. And the second thing I think that's worth pointing out right here is this. Where's Jonah's friends? Where's Jonah's friends? This is why we preach so hard about small groups and getting in community and why they're so important. Because look, if Jonah would have had a good community, a good small group around him, they probably would have met him at this port and confronted him and told him that what he's doing was wrong. All right, so this is what I want. I want friends like that. I want friends that will meet me at my uh, 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 roads where i got to pick to obey or disobey and encourage me to obey. And luckily I have those. Sometimes they're not as gracious as I want to be. They can be a little mean about it. But luckily I have those guys, and they let me know when I'm wrong and when I should obey the Lord. So let's pick back up verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. So Jonah's on the ship now. They're sailing to Tarshish. And a, such a violent storm arose that the ship, the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Jonah had gotten so used to his disobedience. He'd gotten so used to his disobedience, he was able to sleep through a storm. All right, and we do this. We grow numb to our disobedience to the point where we have fallen asleep. We fall into sleep and being content in our disobedience. We've been so disobedient, we don't even realize that we are disobedient. We've been blinded by our own sin. So are you disobedient to that point? Are you so disobedient that you don't even realize that you are being disobedient? Because that's what happened to Jonah. And, and look, Jonah did that and he became so blinded to it, he was uh, also putting others in danger. He's putting the crew of the ship in danger just as much as he was in danger. All right, so verse 6, the captain went to, went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take us, take notice of us so that we will not perish. Listen, even pagans, even the pagan uh, people on the ship knew to call out to God before Jonah did. Even they knew to call out to God. Verse 7, then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Jonah had already told them what he was doing, that he was running away from a call from God. 
Listen, even pagans could see that Jonah was running away. Same way in our life, even non-believers can see when we're running away from God. When we're running away from God, when we're not obeying him. All right, so verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah says, pick me up, throw me into the sea. Great solution. Let's go swimming, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. The pagans are starting to treat Jonah better than Jonah treated them. They, they weren't willing to sacrifice Jonah, all right, but Jonah was willing to sacrifice them. All right, so Jonah is starting to get uh, treated better than he has treated them. So verse 14, then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So here we see these uh, people on the ship convert and start believing in God. And in verse 17, this is what most people know about Jonah. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Listen here, a fish was more obedient than Jonah. The fish was more obedient than Jonah. Uh, God told the fish to go swallow Jonah, and what did the fish do? It obeyed. But God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, and what did Jonah do? He disobeyed. Connection Church, let's not let a fish be more obedient than us. I can't let a fish be more obedient than me. One, that's a little embarrassing. It's a fish. Two, I want to desire to obey God, to desire to know God more, and desire for others to know him like I know him. So Connection Church, let's not be uh, less obedient than a fish. And then we see right here in the second chapter of Jonah, this is when Jonah's in the belly of the whale, and he, he prays to God, and this prayer is kind of like a repentance and telling God he's thankful for him and all that he's done. And then the end of uh, chapter 2 says, the fish vomit, vomits him onto dry land. And Jonah's back where he started. He's back on dry land. All right, and God has called him to go back to Nineveh, and he's at a crossroads. Do I go back to Nineveh, or do I disobey? So chapter 3, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, Proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. What do we see right here? We see Jonah's heart is still wrong. He preaches probably the worst sermon you can preach to someone. Hey man, 40 days, you're going to die. Good luck. Let's try to figure it out. All right, that's all he really says. He just says 40 days. You have 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. All right, so his heart is still in the wrong place. He obeys, but he obeys reluctantly. So in verse 5, the, Ninevite, the Ninevites believed God. So even though there was a bad sermon, they still believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. So an important thing to know right here is this. The author of Jonah purposefully didn't write this in chronological order. So what really the chronological order was, was that Jonah went to the king first, and then the king repented, and then he, he got the rest of the Ninevites to repent as well. 
But the author didn't put it in this way because he didn't want to take from the fact that the Ninevites didn't repent because of the king. They repented because of God. So the author did that on purpose, picked back up in chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. So he's mad that the Ninevites have been saved. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. For it is better for me to die, to die than to live. Jonah's saying he'd rather die right now than live. That it, it's kind of he's mad that the Ninevites were able to be saved. We look at his heart, we see how it's still wrong. And then the book of Jonah kind of ends abruptly. So what happens after this is Jonah's kind of on the outskirts of Nineveh, looking in, and he's in this desert. It's really hot, and God commands this tree to grow. And listen, this is the second time. Not only is a fish more obedient than Jonah, but a tree is more obedient than Jonah. Right, and it gives Jonah shade, and he has this shade, and he's feeling good, and the next day the tree withers away. All right, the tree withers away, and Jonah gets mad. He's just mad that he's in this scorching hot sun. He basically tells uh, God that he's mad and asks him how he could do this, and God replies with this. He, he basically asks Jonah, how can you care more for a tree than the whole city of Nineveh? And then that's where the story stops, because like I said, it's like an abrupt stop, just out of nowhere stops. But listen, I think there are three major themes in this passage that we can pull out and we can look at and we can learn from. And the first one is this, the disobedience of Jonah. The disobedience of Jonah. A lot of times we look at Jonah and we see his disobedience and we kind of think, wow, what a dummy. How do you try to outrun God? Who would ever try to do that? But when we really take a step back and look at our life, we see that we do the same exact thing. Same exact thing. Me, you, all of us, we all disobey God just like Jonah does. And think about how crazy this is for a second. If you really think about it, it'll kind of blow your mind. Think about what happens when you disobey God. God is the creator of the universe. He created you. He created me. And then he tells us, he calls us to do something, whatever it is, and we disobey. So that's basically us telling God, hey, we know better than you, God. I know you like created the Grand Canyon and stuff, but I think I know how this will work out better than you. So we, we disobey him, and what we're doing is this. We're taking away from God and putting all the light and glory on ourselves because we think we know more than God. And listen, I think there are three ways we disobey, three reasons, excuse me, that we would disobey. First one is this, because you don't want to obey. You don't want to. And this is blatant disobedience. This is coming to a crossroad, and you know that this way leads to obedience, and this way is disobedience, and you choose the disobedience. And the simple fact is this, that when you're doing, it, doing this, you're doing three things. You're putting you over others. It's the first thing. You're putting you over others. You're saying that even though you know that your obedience could benefit someone else, you would rather not because you see your needs as greater than theirs. How selfish is this of us? That we'd rather see our comfort, our needs, our wants uh, over someone else's. Most of us in here have probably uh, disobeyed at a point when God was telling us to share with someone. And at that moment, what we did was we decided that our discomfort is more important than that person's eternity. We literally decided that that, 
that their eternity isn't as important as our comfort. And when we do that, we're not just putting ourselves over them, we're not just putting you over others, but you're also putting you over the mission. You over the mission. It's when we put our wants, our comforts, our needs, our desires over the mission of God. We'd rather sit comfy in our homes, in our bubbles, in our friend groups, and we won't do the mission that God has called us to. We get our priorities out of order. We start putting God on the bottom shelf and just pulling him out whenever we need him. We begin to put our wants over God's will, which in return plays out in our finances, our time, and our affection. Instead of giving financially to the mission, we give financially to ourselves. Instead of giving our time to the mission, we give our time to ourselves. Instead of giving our affection to God and to his mission, we give our affection to our worldly desires. Ultimately, what we're doing when we do this is the worst thing ever. We're putting you over God. We're putting ourselves over God. And anytime we disobey God, this is what's happening. We're putting ourselves here and God here. And this sounds crazy because no one really wants to say this out loud. No one's going to verbally admit that, hey, yeah, I kind of think I'm above God. But when we disobey, that's what we're doing. It's what we're doing. We think that we know more than God. We think that we have, his, uh, have a better plan than God. And it's crazy. And we all do it. I'm just as guilty of it as you are. But maybe it's not that you don't want to disobey, but maybe it's that you don't agree to obey. You don't agree to obey. You don't agree to. And this is when we think we know better than God and we don't agree with what his plan is, with what he's called us to do. And we've all likely been in a situation before when we don't agree with what God has planned, so we disobey. And why would we do that? Probably because we're like Jonah. We're like Jonah. Jonah. Jonah thought this. He thought the recipient, the Ninevites, the recipient of his obedience didn't deserve it. He thought the recipient of his obedience didn't deserve it. And we do that same thing. Sometimes God has called us to do something for someone, to show some, something to someone, and we don't think they deserve it. Maybe you're face-to-face to help someone. Maybe it's financially. Maybe it's in a different way. You're face-to-face to help someone, and you don't think that they deserve it, so you disobey God. And maybe it's not that you don't think the recipient deserves it, but that the outcome of our obedience isn't what you want. You know that if you obey, so if you obey what God has called you to do, it will affect your life in a way that you don't want it to. Your, your plan will no longer uh, be in action. You won't be able to match God's plan with your plan. Or maybe it's not that you're worried about the outcome and how it will change your life. Maybe uh, that you don't, you don't agree with the outcome, but maybe you uh, disobey because you think God doesn't understand how hard it is for me to do this. We disobey, we don't agree to obey because we think, God, you don't understand how hard that is, God. You don't understand that, but listen, this is a lie. This is a lie. Jesus came to this earth, walked on this earth, and he understands exactly what it's like and how hard it is to obey. Look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was was crying, he was praying, he was sweating blood. He just didn't want to have to go to the cross. But God told him he had to, so what did he do? He obeyed, and he went, and he died, and he got tortured for me and for you. So we can't say that he doesn't know what it's like because he does. 
Because he does. And maybe it's not really that you don't want to or that you don't agree with obeying God. Maybe you don't truly understand the point of obeying God. So maybe you don't understand. A person usually disobeys this way and it becomes a big decision. God has set this uh, path in front of you and it's a big decision. Maybe it's moving, maybe it's changing careers, whatever it is, and you just don't understand. And usually we do this because we don't trust God's plan. We don't trust his plan. I remember this time when I was in high school, I played football. And we were playing this team who was a little bit better than us. They were up a few touchdowns on us. And we, we got to this point where we really needed to score. All right, we really needed to score. If we scored, we could bring it closer and we might could get the momentum to come back and win. All right, so if you don't know about football, you get three tries to get a first down. And on the fourth one, you can try, but if you don't get it, they get the ball back, or you can just go ahead and kick it to them. So we decided to line up and do a fake punt. So we were going to pretend to kick it, really trying to get the first down. Now, I remember I had a specific assignment to block a certain guy. But me and my great genius self didn't want to do that, so I didn't. I didn't block this guy. All right, and our punter, who was soaking wet, 100 pounds, comes running on the outside, and then the worst tackle hit whatever I've ever seen in my whole entire life happened right there. His helmet flies off 10 yards. I thought we were bringing a helicopter to the field. It was bad, and it was all my fault. But it was my fault because I didn't trust my coach's plan. Because he knew that we needed to get this first down, but I didn't see it. I didn't see the bigger picture, and I didn't trust him. And we do the same thing with God. God has a bigger picture. He has a better plan for us in our life, but we have to trust him. We have to take that step of faith. When he calls us to do something, we should listen and obey. I got cousins who uh, have three kids under the age of six. God bless them. They got three kids that young. And what they do is whenever their kids are about to misbehave, they say, uh-uh, listen and obey. Listen and obey. That's what we're called to do when God tells us, to do, tells us to do something. Listen and obey. But maybe the reason you don't understand why you should obey isn't because you don't trust him. Maybe it's because you've tricked yourself into thinking it's not God. So you've kind of tricked yourself into saying, what, what I'm getting told to do, what I feel like I'm getting called to do, isn't really God speaking. Isn't really God speaking. You can think it's you might think it's the devil, but listen, why would the devil tell you to do something that advances the kingdom? Right, so it's not the devil, or you might think it's your flesh. But our flesh, apart from the Spirit, we don't desire God or God's mission. So it can't be our fleshly self. So that leaves one other person, it's God. And if you feel God, or if you feel called to move the gospel forward in any specific way, it's got to be from God. And we have to obey Maybe you don't understand what God is telling you, maybe because you're getting misled. You might be misleading yourself, trying to convince yourself that it's not really God, or maybe you're getting misled by uh, friends, coworkers, whatever, you're getting misled. Remember like Jonah, like I said, if he would have had friends come to that port and just confront him and say, what you're doing is wrong, Jonah. What you're doing is wrong, why are you doing this? Maybe he wouldn't have gone to Tarshish. Then maybe he wouldn't have gotten swallowed by a whale. So is your community around you leading you to obey God's commands? Or are they leading you to the comfort of disobedience? 
Are they leading you to obey his commands or are they leading you to comfort and disobedience? Which one are you today? Do you not understand what God is calling you? Do you not agree or do you not want to obey God? And listen, if we're disobeying, we're running to something else. Because think about this, Jonah, when he ran away from obedience, he ran to something else. When we run away from obedience, we're running to something else as well. So what are you running to if you're disobeying? The thing is, it's not going to satisfy in the end. The only thing that will satisfy in the end will be God. And the only way to get to God is to obey God. So what's your Tarshish? What are you running to? Which one are you? Which way do you disobey? So that was the first point. My second point is this. What is, what is the faithfulness of God? To the faithfulness of God. God shows faithfulness to Jonah he doesn't just forget about Jonah. He doesn't just put him in the well and let him decompose in the well. He doesn't just abandon Jonah when he gets on the ship and falls asleep. No, he shows him faithfulness. He also shows us faithfulness in our lives. The question we need to ask is this, though. How do we see the faithfulness of God play out? First, we see it through the discipline of God. The discipline of God. God doesn't discipline us to be mean to us. Discipline is a good thing. Discipline is what we need as Christians. We need to be disciplined. If there's no discipline, we will continue living our lives in the way we want to, not the way God has intended. God disciplines out of love. If God didn't love us, he would, he would let us continue in our worldly, selfish ways because it would lead to destruction. But he does love us, so he does discipline us so that we can come back to him, so we can follow him. If he didn't show us discipline, then we would never learn and we would end up just living that Awful, unsatisfying life. So wouldn't you discipline your chi- a child if they stole from Walmart? If your kid stole uh, stickers from Walmart, wouldn't you discipline them? Yes, you would because you love them. You want them to know that they stole and that's wrong. And you don't want it to escalate to something bigger when they steal something big and then they have to get arrested and then they have to go to jail. You truly love them and you don't want that for them. So you discipline them when it's, when it's a small thing. So what God does, he disciplines us. He truly loves us. Why wouldn't he discipline us? I'm more worried to not get disciplined than I am to get disciplined. I want to be disciplined. I want to be able to know that I need to obey God at all times. But not only do we see his faithfulness through his discipline, but we also see it through his restoration, the restoration of God. Listen, God brings us out of our deepest, darkest places and shows us love. He brought Jonah out of the belly of a whale and showed him love. He does the same thing for us. He did the same thing for me. Listen, if you're at that place right now, if you're at rock bottom right now, if you feel like you're in the bottom of the belly of the whale, this is what you need to know. Rock bottom isn't a time to quit. Rock bottom is a time to look up. When you hit your lowest point, don't give up on God because he didn't give up on you. Look up at him. Run to his arms. Accept his love. Live for him. He'll restore you. I promise he did it for me. I think last year at the beginning of COVID, a lot of us, a lot of Christians experienced this. It was the lowest you've ever hit in your spiritual lives. Some people still haven't looked back up and looked at God and accepted his love yet. But listen, here's what you need to know. It doesn't, God's love isn't based on our performance. 
God's love isn't based on our performance. It doesn't matter what you've done or how far away you feel. Being a better person or being a worse person has no effect on God's love for you. It's not based on our performance. God loves us no matter what. No matter how bad you feel you are, no matter how bad of the things you think you've done are, it's not too far away. God loves you. Our performance doesn't earn God's love. He loves us no matter what. He loves you just as much when you're at rock bottom, when you're on the top of the mountain. He loves you no matter what. And if you're at rock bottom right now, what you need to know uh, to do is this. Look up at God and know this. God restores us out of our sinful state. He also restores us out of our disobedience. Think about Peter in the New Testament. Think about him being disobedient. He denied Jesus three times. They asked Peter three times. He was a disciple. Do you know Jesus? No. Do you know Jesus? No, I don't know him. Do you know Jesus? No. He denied Jesus three times. But what does Jesus do? Jesus meets him where he is. Jesus comes, calls him out of a boat one morning after Jesus' resurrection, makes breakfast for him and shows him love. He restores Peter. He did the same with me. Listen, I was in a sinful state. I thought I had it all figured out. I convinced myself. I convinced others that I had a relationship with Jesus when really I didn't. And Jesus restored me. He met me where I was and he saved me. But listen, I got redeemed. You can get redeemed. Jonah got redeemed. Peter got redeemed. But that isn't where it ends. After we see his faithfulness through his restoration, through his redemption, we see it through his mission, through the mission of God. Jonah's story didn't just stop at his restoration. He got spit up, he got restored, spit up on dry land, and God called him to go. Jonah was restored. After we're restored, we aren't done. There's a false lie that people think that when you get saved, that the work is over. No, no, no. When you get saved, the work is just beginning. Listen, Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said this, Go and make disciples. Are we making disciples? Because listen, if we're saved, we're sent. You're sent into your workplace. You're sent into your family. You're sent into your friends. We are sent. Are we acting like it? Do we have that urgency of the mission? Or are we acting as if someone else or at some other time will work enough? Do we have that urgency? Are you making disciples? God is faithful to his mission. He always is. But are you? Trust me, I know it's easier said than done. But here's what we have to know. We're rarely called to the comfort. If we were so often called to comfort, then we would lose our faith in Christ because it would just be comfortable. Once we get comfortable, we start relying on ourselves. But once we're called to the uncomfortable, all we have to depend on is our faith in God. Have you become so comfortable in your disobedience that you have lost sight in faithfulness of God to God's mission? Are you someone, have you became so disobedient that the mission has just became something you don't think about? Can you characterize your life as someone who lives sin? Do you live sin? Do you go to your workplace? Do you go to your family? Do you go to your friends to show them the love of God? Are you living sin? And then the last thing we see in the story is this. Number three, the salvation of the Ninevites. The salvation of the Ninevites. We see the acts of Jonah play out and we see uh, the, uh, the salvation of a whole nation. All of Nineveh gets saved. 
Alright, and we talked about being faithful. So what's the fruit of us being faithful? The fruit of faithfulness. We get to see two people's uh, fruit of their faithfulness. First, we see Jonah. Jonah, who had a, a, a bad heart, was, was hesitant to obey, but eventually he did. All right, so he eventually obeyed. He obeyed God. He went to Nineveh. Even though he gave this poor sermon, he, he went and he shared with the Ninevites. And I think the reason that uh, he used such a poor sermon, I think God did that on purpose so that we could see that God can use us in any way, no matter our performance. So it's not about how well you do or how good you can do it. It's about being faithful and taking that step. So are you faithful? Have you taken that step? Because it's not about our performance. It's about what he can do through us. Then not only do we see Jonah's faithfulness, but we also see the king of Nineveh's faithfulness. So once the king of Nineveh heard the word of God, he gave his life to him. And what did he do? He repented and then he quickly started telling everyone he could. The whole nation, all of Nineveh, he told them all. He was redeemed, then he lived sin. And we, he got to see his whole nation live for God. Listen, these were some terrible people. The king of Nineveh was no doubt a terrible guy. And then he got saved, and then what did he do? He started living for God and living sin. Whenever we're, able, whenever we're faithful to God's mission, we're able to see great things. Think about this. Billy Shiver, our head pastor, he was faithful to plant Connection Church Vidalia in 2014 which led to him being faithful to hire Blake Hardiman, which led to Blake being able, uh, being faithful to ask me to go to Passion in 2019, which led to God to start moving in my heart, which ultimately led to my salvation, all because of one man's faithfulness. Now put yourself in that. Whose faithfulness led to your salvation? Listen, that fires me up. That's, that wants me to be faithful to the mission. That wants me to go serve, to go love, to go show others God. Because of one man's faithfulness, I got saved. So Connection Church, it's time for us to be faithful to the mission. It's time to be faithful to God's call. I know it can be hard, but here's something you need to know. Nobody is too far for God to reach. Sometimes we think that some people that we're called to, man, there are some bad people, God. I don't know if you can really work through them. Listen, they're probably not as bad as the Ninevites. Ninevites tortured people to death. Terrible stuff. All right, so they're not as bad as them. Listen, God can reach them. If he can reach the Ninevites, he can reach them. Not only can he reach uh, your friend or whoever you're called to, but if you're sitting in here, he can reach you. He can reach you. There's nothing that you've done that's too bad that he can't take care of. And why is that? It's because God's grace is bigger than your failures. God's grace is bigger than your failures. It doesn't matter how much bad stuff you've done, how many times you've messed up in your life, God's grace is still better. His love is still better. Let's look at the Bible. Think about David. David was an adulterer. David was a murderer. And God used David. He still uses David. David has writings in the Bible that are used today. Same thing with Paul. Paul wrote almost half of the New Testament. And Paul's uh, words, his letters are still getting read to say today, being used today, leading to people's salvation today. And what was Paul before that? He was a mass genocide. He killed Christians. God can use anyone. You're never too far away. You're never too far away. But the question you have to ask yourself is this. How will you respond? 
How are you responding? Everyone in here today has two calls. They either have the call to go, to live sent, share the word of God, or the call to join, to join our team, to join uh, God's uh, uh, children, to come into his love, to be showered in his grace. So the call to go, are you going out to the world? If you have the call to go, are you going out to the world? Are you going to flip up our community upside down with the love of Jesus? Or are we just going to stay comfortable for the rest of our lives? Are you going to go? Listen, I'm going to go. I'm going to do the best I can. But are you going to go? Maybe you're not being called to go. Maybe you're being called to join, to join Christ, to give your life to Him. Today, give your life to Him. You're not too far. Listen, you're not as bad as the Ninevites. If God can save the Ninevites, He can save you. His grace is more than efficient. Don't let today go by without joining Him. It's the absolute best decision you'll ever make in your whole life. If God can put Jonah in a well for three days, he was serious about Nineveh's salvation. If God put his son in a grave for three days, he's serious about your salvation. Have you given your life to him? Do you live for him? So what I want to do is everyone bow their head and close their eyes. And if today you have never given your life to God, you've never been saved, you've never trusted in His love, and you feel like this is your next step, what I want you to do is what I want you to do is take that first step of faithfulness, and I want you to raise your hand. And listen, everyone else in here, for the Christians in here, we're getting to uh, getting ready to respond in worship. What I want to do is challenge you. Ask yourself, am I living sin? Am I living my life sin? Am I living with an urgency for the gospel to go all over our city, our county, our state, our country, and our world? Does that characterize your life? Because listen, it's not about if you're called or, or where or when. It's about now. You're called now. Where are you going to go? Who is God calling you to? Who is it? Ask yourself that today as we get ready to respond. Before we do that, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for your love, your mercy. Thank you for the story of Jonah. Just letting us be able to read it, Lord. I pray that we all live our lives sent, Lord. That we all live with an urgency for everyone else to know the gospel. I thank you for what you did on the cross for our sins. For your love and your name I pray. Amen.